In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Now these are the last words of David. It's one of those odd phrases you find in the Bible that can be a little hard to parse if you take the Bible too literally at points. Because after this passage, we end up with a couple more chapters worth of David's life where he's doing things and he's saying things. He's got a census coming up. He's going to build an altar to the Lord. And in 1 Kings, he's going to anoint Solomon as his successor. David still has life yet to live. But this is his last oracle, his last psalm, the last prophecy that David's going to give. The God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel has said to me, one who rules over people justly, ruling in the fear of God is like the light of the morning, like the sun rising on a cloudless morning, gleaming from the rain on the grassy land. David knows what just rule is and what it isn't. He's lived through it. He's, ours is not the first country that has always, not always lived up to its lofty ideals. At different points in his reign, he's been lauded as the ideal king and be called to repentance because of his actions and his mistakes. His children have acted both bravely and horrifically. Solomon, who has a largely peaceful and wealth-building reign, who builds the temple, Solomon is generally ignored in the rest of Scripture. Usually when you find Solomon's name outside of the book of Kings or Chronicles, it always goes Solomon followed by the word temple, Solomon's temple. Very little is said about him. But when the Bible looks for an ideal king, David, his father, is mentioned because David loved God. I believe it's his relationship with God that separated David from his children. And watching the sun come up in the morning, with the sunlight reflecting off the dew, it's a hopeful time of day. It was David who wrote the 30th Psalm that morning will last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And at the start of a new day, anything is possible. You get to start fresh. You're able to live into the person, and in David's case, the ruler God has called you to become. And that feeling of peace and watching the sunrise can bring hope. And David, who the psalmist says, I will not allow my eyes to sleep, nor let my eyelids slumber until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. That same David, the Lord has sworn an earth to David. In truth, he will not break it. A son, the fruit of your body, will I set upon your throne. And God kept that oath but not the way David probably thought. Because his son is now, after making purification for our sins, he then sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus is a better king than David, and a better ruler than anyone we've ever had on the earth. Because he came not to rule over us with an iron fist, not to play politics on our behalf, but to rule in love, with forgiveness and mercy, and not strength at the core of his kingdom. But where is that kingdom? That was Pilate's question. When Pilate entered into headquarters again, he summoned Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you ask this on your own, or did others tell you about me? Pilate replied, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests handed you over to me. What have you done? Pilate doesn't understand why Jesus is here only that he had been handed over by the chief priests as someone claiming to be the king of the Jews. 
and therefore someone who is dangerous to Caesar. Jesus answered, My kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Pilate's still confused. He's used to politics. So he asks him, Are you the king? Now, if this was a blockbuster modern movie, the rightful king, born in a manger miraculously from a virgin, with angels bringing crowds to see him, at this point, Jesus would respond that, yes, he's the rightful king. The apostles, followed by the disciples, would come busting in the doors, having slaughtered their way to get there, overpower the guards, and then they would take Jerusalem for the righteous king. Right? That's what would happen in a blockbuster. But that's not why Jesus came. Jesus answered, You say that I am the king, for this I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. Jesus never says he's king here. Pilate makes that assumption because Jesus is kind of avoiding the question. And I think he's avoiding it because his kingdom is not of this world, and it's not one that Pilate or the chief priests would understand. It's not one where the good guys are coming to bust Jesus out. It's one where Jesus sacrifices himself for the sin of the whole world. Everyone. Pilots, the chief priests, mine, yours, all of ours. And in this moment, Pilate is trying to make, is trying to understand the political nature of something that is instead spiritual. Something that will do the opposite of divide. Division is what politics does best. Instead, it will bring healing to a broken world. And Pilate, I think, to some degree, senses this. The next verse, which we didn't read this morning, has Pilate asking, well, what is truth? Now, as a Gen Xer, I tend to read that as a sarcastic thing. Maybe he was being serious here. I don't know. But he goes and tells the chief priests, I can't find any wrong in the man. And we know what happens next in the story. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. And on the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scripture. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And it's from that place, at the right hand of the Father, the acknowledgement of which cost Stephen his life. It's from where he asked John to write, Grace to you and peace from him who was, is, and was, and is to come, and the seven spirits who were before his thrones, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Jesus was just not a witness to God and what God was doing. He was faithful. And from that, God raised him up to be ruler over all the kings of the earth. And it was he that loves and freed us from our sins by his blood and made us to be a kingdom, priests serving his God and Father. Jesus came to make us all priests in his kingdom. As Paul wrote in Philippians, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God has also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father." Jesus didn't come to spike the ball in front of Pilate and the chief priests. He came to reconcile us and them to the Father. And John gives us the hope that our great king 
Look, he is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And on his account, all the tribes of the earth will wail. So it is to be. Amen. I am the Alpha and Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. We affirm that. We affirm it every week. He will come again in glory to judge the living and and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. That's why Jesus is a better king than David. His kingdom doesn't end. We have that assurance that he came to bring us into his family, into God's kingdom. And that's the good news we should be sharing, that the king of kings has brought salvation so that all of us can join the kingdom and be reconciled to God and to each other. Amen.